Greetings and welcome back to Bombadil's Porch. I feel like a guest on this show now. <laughs> you feel like a guest on uh, too. Yeah, we should be saying welcome back. That's right. That's right. I was trying to think when you guys said do the intro, I was like, could I start with a dad joke? Could I start with a joke? Oh, yes, please. And it just seemed, um, oh, this one's so obvious though. What do you call a guy with no arms and no legs laying in front of a door? Matt. Matt, yes. What do you oh, call Oh, a... <laughs> that's bad. Yeah. No arms, no legs floating in the water. Bob. All right. The reason I'm thinking of bad jokes <laughs> is because I was at the World War II <laughs> National Museum in the last week or so. Hmm. And there was this whole section where they had all these jokes that uh, soldiers were telling. And some of them were funny. Some of them I didn't get. But anyway, I had jokes on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you guys been... Uh, either of you been to New Orleans? No. no. Okay. So, um, and I know I've been on the road pretty much a month now, but this past week I was down in New Orleans, Narlins, Louisiana. And it's, um, I will say it's probably one of my favorite cities to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. Um, any city that has a massive concrete wall built around it to keep out the ocean that's a bad scene right there. To, to usually keep out the ocean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have these big pump stations. Like the entire downtown is built down in a bowl with um, it's below sea mm. level. And it's got lakes and the Mississippi River and everything. But it is it's got to be one of the most uh, if you like food, mm. if you like like not barbecue or not microwaving Corn dogs. I mean, I mean, not, I like not, food. That, not that that's awful, but if you like like particularly special food, mm -hmm. uh, Caleb, I think you'd enjoy yourself. Tyler. I probably would. They have, um, they have all manner of seafood delights, mm. culinary delights. They're amazing, and they're not made by fancy chefs. They're made like in these little dives and hole in the wall places. the uh, The city's organized into little neighborhoods. Um, there's one neighborhood called Treme. And it's French everywhere, right? There's the French Quarter, which is infamous and well-deserved in certain parts. <laughs> uh, but they're, uh, they've got, um, out in Treme, they've got, they're known for all their jazz and blues. And that's the cool thing about the town is you walk around, you just hear music mm. all over the place. And you might be walking down the street and there's uh, four or five guys that have set up a little jazz quartet right out in the street. And they're playing for tips. You might walk by a restaurant and you can hear blues in there. Sometimes, uh, sometimes, according to the locals, you'll walk by certain places and there'll be an actual like big time musician. And no one paid to see him. He just likes playing a certain club or something. So like Joe Bonamassa or different, different famous musicians, uh, blues and jazz um, but back to food, because I, I like I think food and music are very similar. So that's why I, I kind of get caught up on both. They're both artsy. They're both a collection of cool ingredients. But mm. so, Caleb, I don't know if you're into seafood, but like uh, uh, crawfish, mm -hmm. uh, shrimp, all kinds of fish. Mm -hmm. There's uh, char grill oysters is the thing. Mm. Down there. And that was super good. The uh, gum, you got jambalaya, you got gumbo. I sound like that character in Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> Bubba. <laughs> but we, uh, oh, and then of course I sent you guys pictures. Um, 
And then you have the famous beignet. And the mm, beignet yeah. is I a, saw pictures. Oh, man, is it good. So, and people, and the beignet, the beignet, I know I'll be corrected by at least a, one of our listeners who is a, a, an official Southerner, <laughs> Dr. Will. But um, the, uh, the beignet, is a, it's a fried treat that gets coated in powdered sugar. And it is fantastic. Hmm. Is it, what is, is it just bread? Is it like or an elephant it's, it's a special recipe. You can buy boxes of the mix yourself okay. from different places. So there are famous places for it. Café du Monde. Dumont oh, is, uh, yes. is one that used to be 24 hours a day. It's down in the French market near the waterfront. And, hmm. uh, and these guys, the line's like 45 minutes sometimes to just buy your, buy your beignets. So the beignet would be almost like square shaped. They get, um, it's, it's made of dough quickly fried. And then you, when you buy it, you're going to spend like four bucks and you get three, three big ones. Hmm. And that, and sometimes gets handed to you in a paper bag and the bag's heavy because all the powdered sugar in there. And then you just kind of shake it up as you eat it and keep going. So different <laughs> places compete. Cafe Beignet competes with Cafe Du Monde. They claim to be the best. But the, all credit to Anita, she found a couple other spots that we walked. One, we walked about a half hour to get to. And the finest, uh, the <laughs> finest beignets in town. And we tried at least six, maybe seven places. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, was Loretta's Praline Shop out on Frenchman Street. And it was incredible. Cool thing, too, there is you go out there, you walk in, you almost couldn't find the menu because there are so many scripture signs hanging in this place. Oh, so really? Loretta has, has passed away. And I would dare say from the testimonials that are hanging on the walls for this famous uh, baker or beignet maker, uh, she's in heaven. Mm. Uh, her family has taken over now and they've maintained all of it, which is pretty cool. When, that is cool. when your kids pick up a spiritual legacy that was yours and, and they, they seem to value the same thing. So that, um, the food was sometime, Caleb, you got to get down there. And mm. then, um, and, and if I can find an excuse, maybe I'll go down and, and show you around. I will say though, there are parts of town that are a little sketchy. Um, the, uh, as you walk through town, there's parts of town where the, 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 uh, I think I mentioned you guys earlier. I don't know how many times somebody offered to, to sell me drugs <laughs> and I politely say, no, thank you. Um, uh, and keep moving I'm good. I'm along good. my way, yeah. uh, along my merry way. The, uh, but, uh, the excitement was, um, not last night. This would be the night before Wednesday night of this week. I was at a, a work event at a restaurant in the French Quarter, and all of a sudden, all of our phones get this this amber alert kind of a message, not an amber alert, and it was a tornado warning. Oh, nice. It had been pounding rain all day, crazy weather. I mean, just weird shaped clouds and very unusual weather, and they told us to beware of thunderstorms, and then this came through. So as I made my way back to the hotel to catch up with Anita, we get back and another one hits, and it's almost this this warning of, like, it's imminent. And uh, it's imminent. Check local media. We turn on the news. I mean, who has watched local news ever? <laughs> I mean, over in the last five years, I haven't. And uh, and while we were watching uh, the news, a, a tornado touched down just a few miles from us. And unfortunately, at least one person was killed. The damage was. I'm always amazed at the damage from these things. They're only on the ground for a short period of time, and it is just devastating. 
Um, but then, um, you know, praise the Lord, we were, we were safe from that. And, uh, and then we got back early this morning. So, mm-hmm. um, Narlands, a lot of interesting things there. So I will say, if you do go world war, if are you guys into history, I mean, I know you're, I know I you're, do into history. History. you're, 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 you're biblical guys. So any person who loves the Bible loves history, but, uh, world war two history specifically interest of an, an interest yeah. area. Okay. I, um, I'm kind of a junkie on it. Um, we've been, we did a trip to Normandy and toured that, that region once growing up in the, in the part of the Pacific where, where I grew up, uh, was, there was tons of, uh, there's some, Pacific there's some history there. Yeah. And you find it, you're playing around as kids in the jungle and you find an old, you know, an old rusted out Japanese tank, you know, that kind nice. of nice, but, um, and, and then there's other museums or, or all over the country, but this one in particular, really, really exceptional. Hmm. It's huge too. I'm amazed at this, this, this gem of a museum in the New Orleans of all places. But, uh, that, that, that's where my bad jokes came from initially, because there's this one section, by the way, if you go through, read everything, it'd probably take you 10 hours. So I'd advise you to kind of keep a move on. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, this one's it, it, what, what struck me by the way, guys, and this, this might lead us into some of the other topics we discussed. A couple things struck me. One is people aren't different. Generations aren't different. Ver- character can change. But those guys mm. that went that stormed those beaches, um, those boys were cutting up, joking around, messing around just like boys do now, right? Um, but they still did the right thing. And I think that's something mm. that's a character thing. That that was that was powerful. But something else that was interesting is in the museum. They, the first part of the museum you go into, they set it up where you get a sense of pre-war, late 1930s, hmm. pre-war debate here in the United States. Politicians, celebrities like Charles Lindbergh or others at the time. Some thought we need to get involved. Um, there's this this growing threat in um, in Europe. We can't just ignore this. Others, this is not our problem. This has nothing to do with our national sovereignty, all the rhetoric and debate that, that they showed here in the museum. What was interesting about it is it was eerily Mm. familiar Mm. because it sounds a lot like now in some ways, the jargon's changed. The people have changed. The accents have changed, right? Back then Mm. there was something about, what was that called? The the continental dialect. It was, there's a way oh, people yes. spoke back then. Mm, right. Uh, you hear it in old clerk or you hear it in old, uh, movies, right? Is that, wasn't that what's called like the pan Atlantic? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Accent or something, something, like, something that. like that. Um, but they all had to get trained in. So they'd sound sophisticated. The arguments and the passion, it was amazing how mm. similar, how much it reminded us of the kind of rhetoric that's out and out now, whether it's about Ukraine or prior to this about other political issues, what a divided country mm-hmm. it was. Our country was back then. Yeah. And, um, and the, and the thing that unified it, unfortunately, of course, was the attack on Pearl Harbor and then the quick declaration of war of the Axis against us. Yeah. And which, which of our, what did they sink? What was the boat they sink? The German sunk. There was some U.S. ship. Lusitania? Was that what it was? Was that the one? I can't remember. It was like a troop carrier. There was one of our one of our ships that they sank mm. that I know also helped pull us in a, mm. on the western front, yeah, um, and the eastern front, yeah. But yeah, that kind of I think what what I've always enjoyed about history is 
people say you study history so you don't what was what's the old phrase? Those who do not study uh, history are doomed to repeat it. That one. And I think it's the most backwards <laughs> saying because no matter how much you study it, you are still doomed to repeat it. <laughs> and I think it's because mm-hmm. the human heart, human nature hasn't yes. changed. It's just people get more devious. In fact, I think devious people study history for good ideas um, about how to manipulate <laughs> and conquer. Um, it's true. It's kind of a, an interesting thing. But that's uh, very true. I, I, want, I focus on that character because that is a distinct difference. I was talking to somebody at the. Um, somebody that I work with and talking about this very dynamic of the similarities. And I said, what was amazing is uh, how the country did indeed unify, like all the way down to the production level, the men went, the wives did all the production. Rosie I mean, the Riveter. Exactly. And, and, and the, you had a country that from top to bottom was absolutely focused on victory, not just in one place, but in two places at once. You had two wars running simultaneously right. Uh, one in Europe and the other in the Pacific. And, and so even now when, when we have international enemies, we have, we have, I would definitely say domestic enemies, people that are seeking to dramatically Mm -hmm. change the country, not in a better way, but for other nefarious purposes, you've got, um, and a divided country, very similar to the late thirties, early forties. And, and but but the difference now, the thing that would concern me is I don't know that we have the same character mm. in our nation. I think we have rather than rather than people that are genuinely um, that genuinely value our rights before God and our rights, constitutional rights. I think they value comfort and convenience and are willing to give up the rights to get there. Um, but it all comes down to character, which reminds me of this article that you'd shared with us, Chris, mm. about, um, well, it, it's, it's not really a, a news article cause it's old. No. It's just quoting. Yes. Old. Tell us about that. <laughs> I, I, and I think it boils down to character, but it does tell us more. Yeah. One of the, one of the blogs you like to follow is by a, a chap named Kevin DeYoung. And I think he's come up a few times before on mm-hmm. the porch. But he had a, a good article uh, this week on what he called the manly virtue of magnanimity. Uh, and one of the things I like about Kevin DeYoung is he's, he's a, a guy who reads old stuff and, and, and surfaces things that I think are often helpful. And it was a, it was a good reminder that uh, there's been a lot of helpful things written <laughs> before uh, blogs were invented. You know, and that uh, there's there's some value in getting back in into what what was being said, what was being written in generations that are not our own. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, you know, for every book you read that was written in your lifetime, you should read like two before or <laughs> something like that, because they have a way of speaking to you that your contemporaries don't, because they're not writing from the same cultural stew that you're in. Uh, and I think this this uh, particular uh, quote. Uh, from this this uh, this work that he was reading stuck out just because it doesn't sound like it was written by someone alive today. It was uh, an article about a commencement address given by one John Witherspoon. Uh, he was a pastor from Scotland uh, who decided to spend the waning years of his life uh, from about 1768 to uh, 1794 when he died over in this newfangled country called America, uh, helping teach 
uh, primarily would have been uh, men, many of whom were looking at the ministry and other exploits in life at the College of New Jersey. Uh, I'm guessing that the uh, the accent of New Jersey is more recent than this. <laughs> you don't think John's? But I don't know. John's. I don't Scottish think John. I don't, influence. Think, I don't know. <laughs> but it would have been fun to have heard this being uh, delivered with a Scottish accent. But he mm. twice as president of the College of New Jersey, which now is known as Princeton, uh, gave gave a message on the Christian virtue of magnanimity. Uh, and I think that's a word we typically only hear in jest, right? Or in like some old period movie. How magnanimous of you. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think there's a line about being magnanimous in like that old, uh, uh, what's, what's her name in ever after or something. Oh, probably something. Anyway, some old movie, uh, you know, is where you, you usually hear it. But he tried to reach back and pull this this forward. He defined magnanimity as uh, a, a commitment to five different things, uh, attempting great and difficult things, aspiring after great and valuable possessions, facing dangers with resolution, struggling against difficulties with perseverance, and bearing sufferings with fortitude and patience. Hmm. And one of the things that I liked about his his speech, I, I was able to find it. You can find this as well. Just um, if you Google around John Witherspoon magnanimity, you'll find links to some old, you know, photocopied PDFs of of the original book they were published in uh, with old English script. You know, or uh, not actual old English, but the the weird letters where the weird letters where all the the S's are F's <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> but you can find it and read it. And he was seeing something in his generation that I think we're seeing in our generation as well. And he said, if you look back at old Greek and uh, Roman cultures, at all of these figures that were revered and honored uh, down to the present day, these hero you know, types and figures, they were these, these men of great ambition, uh, men who attempted great and daring things, who, who spent their lives striving in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering, without complaining about it, without, uh, you know, wallowing in their own, in their own trials un- until they overcame and gained that which was sought. And if it was a noble thing, then they were remembered as a hero, right? And if it was an ignoble thing, they were remembered forever as a villain. Uh, but that the Christian faith, he said, we ought to have... We ought to have more of that sense than anybody. And yet he, he saw what he thought was a, a harmful pattern where in the name of Christian humility, in the name of meekness, in the name of patience, uh, we, we were instead cultivating an environment of, of timidity and even cowardice. Uh, he specifically calls out cowardice repeatedly mm-hmm. <laughs> in, his, in his article, uh, his commencement address. And he said, where did we, where did we go wrong? Like what, how did, what should have been one of the boldest, most courageous ideas to ever shape the behavior of man, uh, become an excuse for the mediocrity, timidity, and even cowardice of men. And, and he was trying to challenge these, these young men that he was speaking to do not allow your lives to succumb to such mediocrity and to such cowardice. Instead, as a Christian, we understand truly what what is the great and difficult things worth striving for? What are the truly valuable possessions yeah. to be gained? The things that are eternal and not just temporal. 
if uh, the heroes of the past struggled that they might gain that which passes away, how much more so should we be uh, engaged in doing what will not pass away, you know, and facing dangers with resolution, struggling with perseverance, bearing with fortitude and patience and not just being complaining and critical all the time. Uh, it was, um, it was, it was bracing, you know, to read. It really was. It, and there was earnestness in it. And I, and I speculate a lot of that earnestness was you were hearing it from a man who was trying to do this very thing. I mean, that this, the Scottish are known for pretty fierce loyalty to land and kin, right? And here's a a man who had been ministering as a pastor in Scotland for many, many, many years who leaves all of that behind because he hears that there's young men in this crazy new country called America who need to be taught so that they can become men of God. And he's willing to leave everything he's ever known behind and come here and spend his last years engaged in that great and difficult work. And I'm sure there were a lot of things he could complain about <laughs> leaving that behind. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't coming to the august halls of Princeton where he would be revered, you know, and get to you know walk marbled halls and, and work in paneled offices. He was coming to the College of New Jersey, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. during the early days of this great <laughs> union. It would it have sounds been, like a community college, doesn't it? Right, and I don't. It wasn't much more than that. Uh, and he he labored there and gave gave the last of his life for that work. And so I think that's part of where that earnestness came from. Was um, he desired to see that a generation of people would be formed here in this country that would have that same that same heart, that same magnanimity to to do great and difficult things without all the whining and complaining that so often accompanies our efforts. And I do think that in, in that there was significant success. I do think part of what described a, a very meaningful portion of the, of America's moral fiber was a bit of a, of that magnanimous spirit. And you would see that in different places. I mean, it's, there's always been the stereotypes like you're, heartland farmers that are just working like dogs, but without complaining, because that's what it takes to do the job right. And to bring, Mm. bring forth what the nation needs to survive. And, um, and there's captains of industry. There were the evil ones, right. Who just enslaved people (laughs) for their own selfish gain. The villains. And then there were those also though, who, who really saw that I am trying to build something that will make a better world. I really am. And, and gave their life to that and labored against great hardships and difficulties and overcame. And, uh, I, I do think that that is something that, um, like you were noticing Hmm. is missing from this generation generally. But I also think the church is uniquely positioned to recapture it in genuine humility. Right. If we're willing, if we're willing, something's, like when you're talking, Chris, mm-hmm. and I think on the porch when we talk, godly men are active. Yes. They're proactive. Mm. And they're and pros at being active. Yes. When you when you look at <laughs> when you look at Is that a dad the, joke? The men uh, yeah, a terrible one. But but that's, that's yeah. is there any dad joke that isn't terrible? <laughs> uh when you look at the men of renown in scripture, they were known for their action. And they were known for, in a way, if you take this definition, their magnanimity. <laughs> and uh, and it's some, a mouthful. Something has been lost, though. I think. I think somewhere along the way. I know in my up, in, not in my upbringing so much, but in my Christian culture, cultural experience, we you develop these 
it's weird. You develop these little stereotypes in your head of what you want to be mm-hmm. or what you think a godly Christian is. And it's usually a stereotype of someone you know or someone you think you know. Usually it's a dead guy that you think you know, right? <laughs> and uh, But it's it's often inaccurate. And and a lot of times the, the stereotype of the spiritual man is, I think, it's not wrong. It's just incomplete. It's like it's the, the spiritual man, the godly man um, is, uh, is, is diligent in his personal study and pursuit of the Lord. But he's more than that. But I think a lot of times we kind of limit it to that. And, um, and I think we've even lost a sense of what humility really is. We think we seem to think humility is, Ooh, is cowardice. It's weakness. Mm-hmm. And, and humility is not cowardice or weakness. Humility is an accurate view of who I am before an almighty God and who he made me. It's, it's mm. actually an acknowledgement of truth. Um, and so I think, mm-hmm. I think this is, man, if there was something that you're absolutely right, the church is poised to embrace this. But I don't know that the church at large is very good at this yet. I don't think we are, in fact. I, th- I think there's a lot of passivity in in the American church, especially with guys. Um, there's a willingness to let others step in and do things. There's a willingness to let um, let uh, the women of the church pursue certain things on our behalf. And 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 I just there's a <laughs> passivity there that is not hu- passivity is not humility. Passivity is generally laziness and cowardice hiding behind a label of humility or, um, so I've said some things that are a little provocative, but I, there's a sense here that this, okay. when this you, is a safe space. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, unless I'm offending people and then, and then I have to apologize, right? <laughs> no, no, my ancestors, no, no, my, the, my grandchildren will apologize for that's me. Right. I think that's the, no, the, the way this your works. Your grandchildren will cancel you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be canceled for what I say, oh, right? That's go. how it works. But this idea of, of men that are magnanimous, mm-hmm. um, I think this is fantastic. This is these are the, this is a character trait that we that I think um, I think may have lost its prominence um, mm-hmm. as 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 we raise our boys and our girls. Girls are magnanimous too, but I just you know this is geared. This guy was right. speaking to men at the at the time, and he called it a Christian virtue. And even even in uh, De Young's yeah. article, he singled that out. This was not a virtue that was meant to be isolated with men, but there is something I think that is uniquely uh, uniquely needful in targeting it to men, because I think in our culture in particular. It's it's men that are most often discouraged from from some of these undertakings and are yeah. most naturally in their fallenness likely to abandon these these attributes. Yeah, we um, man, I think the American movie scene is uh, people talking about movies are influential. I, I think there's some truth that I think they are much more reflective mm. of the values of the culture. Art reflects life. Or life reflects art. Uh, both. But uh but the people writing the scripts, they are a product of, of all of this. And so when you look, what I find interesting is you look at ma- movies now that have manly guys are actually the villains. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Like if you look at their, I mean, the, the heroes of the, our action movies, when you look at their behavior, it's actually pretty bad. Right? <laughs> um, and, you, and you see the world looking to women as, as the leaders. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think, you know, if you can't find leadership in one place, you look anywhere for it. Right. But I think there's just a profound lack of leadership, a uh, profound lack of, 
of men that are willing to, and again, I like those five, those five yeah. areas, just as a, as a, remi- a reminder, attempting, number one, attempting great and difficult things. How many people, how many young guys, maybe you guys have done this too, had great aspirations of a great thing, but thought, oh, I can't do it. Or mm-hmm. worse, I'll try to do it and fail. And that fear keeps you mm-hmm. from attempting great and difficult things. Number two, aspiring after great and valuable possessions. Oh, that sounds materialistic. No, great and valuable. It could be. It, it could, could be, but great and valuable. Right. What kind of possessions are great and valuable? Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of things are worth striving for, sacrificing for? And it's not a new car. That thing will be junk in five years. Yes. <laughs> if you, if you trust the depreciation kind, yeah. tables. <laughs> there is a kind of gold, silver, precious stone. That's right. That is, it has eternal value. Uh, number three, facing dangers with resolution. I dare say this is probably the biggest frustration, probably for most guys, uh, myself certainly included on this. As we look about... Um, we see all around us people that speak boldly to people who agree with them. <laughs> and then we see people when they're, when, when faced, oh, you're talking about Twitter, <laughs> yeah. but then faced with people that disagree, grow strangely quiet mm-hmm. or lose their minds and start acting like jerks. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you, why not speak boldly and eloquently in the face of people that disagree with you, right? But this is this is another one. Facing dangers with resolution. We we're so risk averse. Um, there's an old joke in uh, in my world. Uh, I think in, in fact, this joke is probably not told in business schools anymore. Um, but it was basically a mockery of the French. Like the best analysts in the world are the French, but they spend so long in analyzing. By the time they get to action, all the data has changed. Right. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a. It's like you're so busy aiming at what you're going to shoot at. Um, the animal walks off the scope by the time you pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, the paralysis of analysis. Well, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you just, again, facing danger, action, yeah. endless analysis. There's a point at which you have to take action. I mean, this is fresh in mind from the World War II Museum because you saw sure. this leading up to D-Day. Mm-hmm. The most complex planning in the history of warfare took place leading up to this. But there was a point at which... Yeah, the 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 planners and ult- and ultimately the um, what was his what was his title that uh, Ike got? It was like the uh, it was some no one had ever been given this this authority before. But he controlled the mm. armed forces of all these different countries. Hmm. And, and there's a point at which he had to say the joint commander of the allied forces <laughs> or not go right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so you know, facing dangers of resolution. Number four, struggling against difficulties with perseverance. This is huge. How many times do we quit just because it got hard mm. or quit maybe the third or fourth time because it got hard? <laughs> uh, and that's just that's like every every guy struggles with that. Number five, bearing sufferings with fortitude and patience when things get lousy. Um, yeah. Can you move on? I mean, I, I, yeah. this is a tough one. Sometimes you get knocked flat and it is hard to get up, but you got to get up and get going. I, and with how much complaining? Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's, I think, you know, we don't often provide opportunities for our, our, our children to experience these. I mean, I, I think in this room, we probably do a little bit more than average, but, but I was just thinking about, uh, uh, so just a couple of these three and four and even five, but, uh, but, uh, last, uh, last night, well, yesterday afternoon, um, somebody dropped off a truck, uh, full of wood 
for us. We've been burning a lot of wood. And uh, and somebody had just picked up Lizzie, and Linda was at the at the ER with Josiah because he was having just extreme abdominal pain. Uh, they couldn't figure out exactly why. Basically, sent him home, but he's doing a little better now. But anyway, but uh, I was left at home with this truck, and I was thinking, I got to get this truck back tonight. This person, and it's full of wood. And Josiah is, you know, normally there. Linda helps stack. She does a great job of stacking the wood well. And I'm home alone with Benjamin and Catherine, right, and our five year old twins. And I'm going, ah, well, let's see. So I started unloading a little bit. They're playing in the yard. And got to where I was like, man, I'm going to have to be getting up and down out of this truck to keep getting this wood out. So I was like, hey, Benjamin and Catherine, come over here. <laughs> Popped them at the back. Um, and it was, you know, it was like, I mean, I'd gotten maybe 10% of it off, right, before I, I can't really reach it without climbing up in there. And so sure enough, you know, get Benjamin and Catherine up in there. And and Benjamin especially was just enjoying it. Um, his sister wasn't quite sure. He liked pulling the... So he kept pulling the, the wood pieces out of the bottom. And initially I was like, hey, don't do that. It's going to fall on you. But he wanted it to have an avalanche, right? Oh, sure. His sister didn't want that. And so she was freaking out about it. So eventually she got down and, and you know, but but he, he was uh, he was wanting. At first I was kind of telling him not to. And then I was like, no, you know, you know what? Do that. You know, here's we're in an environment that's fairly controlled. He, he might hurt himself a little bit or something. But I just went, you know, there's some danger involved. Yeah. It's hard work that he did. I mean, he he basically brought to the tailgate um, like four-fifths of the wood in this. Yeah, how old which is, is he? He's five. It's fantastic, right? right? Piece by piece. He just fantastic. kept bringing it to me. Uh, the funny thing was is at the end, they were, we were down to like the last 10% or something, and they were really dragging and I was like, if you guys get done, we can have an, and we can have an ice cream bar, and uh, they're like an ice cream bar. And then Benjamin goes to Katie, Katie, let's do it the old fashioned way. And they're like going, and I'm like, what's the old fashioned way? And they're like, fast. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway, it was just kind of an interesting. I don't know where that came from, but oh, that's fantastic. But anyway, you're thinking about some of these things, you're facing some dangers with resolution and hard things, and mm-hmm. struggling against difficulties with perseverance. And a lot of these were like, yeah, this was a good opportunity. But I think finding those opportunities to to even thrust our our young men and ladies, but uh, into those, those situations where they're they have to do those things sometimes. So they, yeah. a, anyway. these are such great things to form at young ages. Yeah. But but I I think generationally too we've we've got. We've got, I don't know that all of my peers or your peers were raised with this kind of character. Mm-hmm. No. And, and we can't go around and reparent people around us, but we can start to demonstrate, even if you guys, maybe you were, maybe you weren't raised with this kind of character. Maybe it's harder for some reason, but this is, this is where Christianity is an active. Mm-hmm. I mean, we serve an active God. Our God is not passive or distant. He's intricately involved. Mm. And, and he is, he is, he's, I mean, ferocious comes to mind. That's the, I mean, he is, he is a God that, that spoke uh, the most violent things into existence like stars. I mean, stars are <laughs> unbelievably mm-hmm. violent, like beyond our imagination. And yet he also created delicacy uh, in nature, there's delicate things in nature. There's a our, we serve a God who is creative. Uh, we serve a God who is um, unfathomably powerful mm. and and brilliant beyond our capacity to even imagine uh, genius. And sometimes it just feels like we we're talking about a, somebody that's kind of a 
a fatherly character in a book mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to someone that's real. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think sometimes too, the way, the way we, as, as a, as a, the, the church at large serve, we, we just, we, we don't have the kind of fire in our belly that we ought to mm-hmm. realizing some of that's a bit of a personality thing. And some people don't, that's not their thing, but every, mm-hmm. I think everyone can get passionate about this. Mm-hmm. And not everybody who's magnanimous has a firebrand either. But just, just driven and passionate yeah. and believing mm-hmm. in what you're doing. And there's different mm-hmm. kind of driven, you know, there's like the, the classic salesman driven, right. And then sometimes uh, that's overwhelming. You know, the, the type A personality mm-hmm. which is like, Whoa, slow down. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, then there's the kind of person that is, that is quietly just doing, doing what needs to be done one, one step after another. And nobody really noticed them until they looked up and found them. They were way off, <laughs> you know, way out ahead of you yeah. about to disappear over the horizon. How did they get out there? Well, one step at a time while you mm-hmm. guys were talking about it, they were doing it. And, and I think that's. That's what we're looking for is that, uh, I think it was, was it, Eugene, uh, was it Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the message who describes a faithfulness as a long obedience and in one direction, I think. I just um, heard that quote recently. Yeah, I think, I think that was Eugene, Eugene if you're talking about the message, yeah. Yeah, I think, it was, I think that was- Not the other guy of, that you like to- No, I, I always get mixed yeah. up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that was his his quote. But that, that that's kind of what we're, we're going for here is not, not the kind of- of person who necessarily will turn your head when you're walking by because they're just loud and boisterous and these sorts of things, but the kind of men who who actually change the world around them because because they're engaged with it actively over such a, a, a an extended period of time, and that is something to be cultivated in youth. Uh, as we were talking about this, even with some of our high schoolers last night in our small group time. Uh, they they were talking about just different ways in which young men take risks and and push themselves and try to figure out the boundaries of their their strength and their pain tolerance and this sort of thing and and what if what if we were rather than oh that's that's dangerous you know you you could hurt yourself uh, what if instead we were fostering that by saying, "Yeah, you're at the you're at the age when you should be pushing yourself to your limits, when you mm-hmm. should be exploring the the amount of responsibility that you can shoulder before you break." Mm-hmm. Um, but don't do that by finding reckless things that you do thoughtlessly. But do that by finding good things that you can do purposefully. And uh, you see some of the so many of the people that we've admired throughout history. It's fun reading about their childhood and how many of them apprenticed young or undertook a business young or went out and just found something hard to do when they were young, and that that forged in them the character mm-hmm. that God would later be able to use for great things. Mm-hmm. And there's a confidence that that forms over time that is is genuine humility. Like you know, pride is. Um, you, you can see pride either as, as a confidence that comes from an, an internal sense of capacity or a fear that comes from uh, what you perceive to be a threat to your internal capacity. Yeah. 
but there is a consistent fearless confidence to the genuinely humble person because their life is built on an external foundation that they've come to place greater confidence in than they have in them in themselves. Yeah. Pride right? cuts both ways, doesn't it? I mean, it's it not does. just puffed up. It's also the yeah. sense of deflation is actually related to pride too. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. I could never be good enough. Well, it's all mm-hmm. about you. I mean, it, it, right. it, it's the deviousness mm-hmm. of sin. High self-esteem is a symptom of what? Pride. Low mm-hmm. self-esteem is a, sem- a, sem- <laughs> a symptom of what? Pride. pride. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a high view of God, you yeah. know, and, mm-hmm. and resting in that. That, uh, is is a sign of humility. Question for you, Chris, and it's something you mentioned a few minutes ago. I think we're we're certainly not talking about being obnoxious. That's not magnanimous. <laughs> That's being obnoxious. Yeah. But um, there there is the the quiet person that plods and disciplines himself mm-hmm. and quietly does things. Um, it seems to me like whatever personality type you are. There is benefit to f- to making sure you've got a little bit of diversity in the personalities that you are bouncing off of. Mm-hmm. So, sure. um, I, I think I mentioned to you, I, I had this little thought experiment I've been working through hmm. now and then when I've got time. And and it's it's interesting to me. We talk about the great sort, right? We've talked about that. Yeah. Conservative people move to conservative parts of the country and liberal people move to liberal parts of the country. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it just further reinforces division. Yes. So I've got a question. Do you think churches, not intentionally, but there's a, a sort of types that has happened with the kinds of churches that attract certain kinds of people? Of course. I would have always said <laughs> up until recently, but in the last five years, maybe I would have said theological emphasis and expositional style attract people that value those things. But one of the things I've also noticed is churches like that. Um, appropriately focused on theology, doctrine, appropriately focused on verse by verse teaching and learning. They also tend to attract a certain kind of personality type. And you could, you could see it as you get to know people. Mm -hmm. And then there are other churches that, um, that attract other personality types. So I I, I want to get your thoughts on this, especially both you guys, you're in (laughs) full-time ministry. Do you, have you seen this? Do you see this? Are there certain kinds of churches that seem to attract the introvert? <laughs> Whereas there are other kinds of churches that seem to attract the extrovert. And um, I, I think I, manifestly so. So <laughs> I don't think you can deny it. Well, it's interesting. The, the, the churches that tend to attract the introvert tend to, <laughs> uh, tend to perhaps view with a little bit of scrutiny, the more extroverted style of churches. Mm-hmm. And, but they, they don't call it extroversion. It's more like they don't, teach the same way we teach. Right. And that could be true. The more extroverted churches tend to look at introverted type churches. And again, it's mm-hmm. weird to describe churches with personalities, but my thought experiment has been, why is it certain kinds of churches seem to attract a certain sort of person that wants to learn a certain way and live a certain way? And it's, it's, it's not, and, and, and the same being true with other kinds of churches. So there, there's the question. I want to get you guys thoughts around that do you have thoughts caleb well i'll be interested to hear yours i mean i think <laughs> i'm ready to rant so you know you gotta oh, you gotta yeah, well, get it in now well, i can or i can butt in later <laughs> um i can i can correct you and oh there no, you go just kidding. No. <laughs> that's always appreciated um <laughs> you, why, why, don't, why don't you no i'm just kidding why don't you go first because um because Okay. Because I have a feeling that I may have a different, I'm going to say maybe not. 
So let's see. Oh, excellent. Maybe okay. not, but maybe. We'll find out. I do. Th- I think that um, it's never quite as one-sided as it as it appears. I do think that you have a, a variety of people in, in all those contexts. I do think that the advent of uh, the, the high mobility of people and the high number of churches in, in any given locale enables... Uh, sorting into places where we are most comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that has given rise to to churches with uh, very, very high degrees of stylistic specificity, right? Uh, it's called style specialization. And so there are churches, we are the, the young, upwardly mobile career couple church, right? That, that we gear for that, or we are the experience driven church. We are the community involvement driven church. We are the Bible study driven church. We are the new, new Christian evangelism driven church. We, uh, we are the purpose driven, wait, that's different. Uh, <laughs> but there, there's all of that specialization that I think is enabled in an environment like ours where I can hit 20 different churches in a 15 minute drive mm. on a Sunday morning. Uh, whereas in the past, you would take all those personalities and preferences and you'd throw them underneath one roof and 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 uh, the church would have to figure out how to survive. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we need to we need to let the full expression of the diversity of, of the people that God have, has brought here um, be, be unleashed to do the ministry that God would call them to underneath a unified ministry of, of, of teaching. Right. And uh, throughout history. There's always been basic big buckets, right? You've almost always had um, the the legalistic bucket, and then inevitably you have the the pendulum that swings away from the legalism bucket to the no. We need to focus on what Scripture says, the um, the transcendent revelation, not tradition or man's word. Mm-hmm. And then you've almost inevitably had the other pendulum swing out of that to you're too focused on, on words and not enough on heart. And so you, you almost always have legalist to scholastic, if you will, to pious or to mystic, um, the pietist movement. So the, there's those flavors that are always going to be there because I think they, they reflect commitments of the heart. Um, more than like personality type. I think, you know, when we talk about personality type, what are we talking about? The externalities of heart affections, right? Sure. Uh, and and so the, those basic heart affections are going to be those that are going to love tradition. They're going to love familiarity and repetition, and they're going to gravitate to a certain environment if it's there. And mm-hmm. you have those that are, that love the intellectual side and, and, and understanding is very, very important. And they're going to gravitate towards the scholastic side. And they're going to be those that are very uh, people-oriented, relationship-oriented, uh, emotion-oriented. And they're going to gravitate towards the pietistic side. And so I think you, in, in our generation, you you have all those flavors of churches. And so it is going to be a, a big temptation to sort people along those lines. I don't think it's inevitable Right, I think that churches can genuinely seek um, to to cultivate a place that doesn't pit tradition in a good sense and scripture and experience against each other. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I'd loved that to be you know a hallmark of the church that we're a part of, 
mm-hmm. um, I, by God's grace. Uh, you don't have to compromise truth to emphasize the affections of the heart, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to abandon 2,000 years of church history and all that we've learned along the way uh, because some churches become legalistic in their tradition. You, 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 can, you can value these things all mm-hmm. underneath the sound teaching and deep teaching of God's word. Uh, but I, I do think that that sorting will almost always inevitably happen as long as people are different and as long as multiple options are possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Short version. Mm-hmm. There. Now, fight no, me. No, you're fine. Okay, phew. I was hoping you but I was based on some of your earlier. I was like, worried. I was hoping you guys would disagree. Oh, I was well. going to make it more interesting. Yeah, I thought, no, I mean, I was going to say. I mean, I think, I think there, is, there are obviously there's, there's a story, and we can look around the churches in our in our area, you know, geographically close to us, even, and go, yeah, the, there's there are churches that are more emphasized on, you know, oh, they've got more vibrant worship or more, you know, whatever it might be, right. Um, I think when the I think when the emphasis though is on this is what I think has been interesting for me, um, looking over the last uh, few years, especially, but but in general um, at, at our church, and not because I think we're perfect or doing everything right, but it seems like there's a great deal of diversity among the people that still want to biblical truth, solid teaching, and so I think I mean I think Valley Bible Church has got a, a very a very interesting mix, maybe you know a lot of maybe odd mix. I mean, there might be a lot of odd people as well, but uh, but we're uh, we're we're kind of an interesting mix of people. Um, that, well, and, I, and, and, I lo- and I love all of them, uh, yeah. but uh, but but I, but seriously, I mean, it's yeah. But but there's no one there's no one type. And, and what has happened. I think with some of those ones that are more, if you will, churches that are more specialized on other things like better, more vibrant worship and, you know, singing songs that they don't even read the lyrics to make sure that they're theological, any kind of theological soundness Shots or fired. implications. Shots fired. Well, yeah. I mean, but but what either, yeah, I mean, what, what does happen is, yeah. Well, I think that people are quicker to leave them. Uh, for various reasons, I mean, we're seeing it with. There's a lot of big, kind of big churches in the country that have had to shut shut their doors because nobody's coming back, right? Because everything that they were teaching was whatever it was. I don't know what it was. It was all social. They're keeping mm-hmm. their their food pantries because that's still a ministry. But that's what the church is, is known for is being some sort of a food pantry, basically. And so, but they're they're selling off their big properties and going all online or whatever it might be. And it's, I mean, that's sad to see. But we didn't see. Less people. I mean, we're now we're seeing even more people coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where, if you were here last Sunday, it was like, can't find a place to sit, can't find a place to park. What am I going to do? Um, so anyway, stand. Just come five minutes late for the second service. There you go, and then you'll <laughs> find a place to park. <laughs> don't, 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 don't actually do that. Anyway, sorry. Moving on. Yeah, I I do think it's it's fair to say our. Our church ministry team is probably on the laid back end of the spectrum uh, in personality types. You know, we don't have a lot of hard driver personality types on our staff. Uh, And I do think that 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 sets a tone for a culture in the church. Um, And and I do know that there are people who bounce off of us for that reason, where they're very driven Uh and they, they want... Uh, an aggressive voice uh, in in their in their life, 
And so people have bounced off our church for that reason. Mm. Uh, we also have a reputation for moving slowly on a number of things, mm-hmm. uh, much more entish than hoppetish <laughs> in that regard. Uh, Even with and- their little legs. <laughs> we try not to be hasty. That's yeah. Right. Do you, you swing uh, a little more towards the French, the analysis? <laughs> Maybe not all sure. the way to the French, but hmm. yeah. yeah. But uh, now, does a ministry team? It's true, just a fact. As you obviously, as you look at at um, elders, and then mm-hmm. certainly as a ministry team, in addition to the elders, do you look at things like um, when you hire? Do you look at Hey, we've got, uh, we've got, you're clearly looking for a solid biblical foundation and a solid person uh, in Mm -hmm. terms of their walk with Christ and the way that they engage with their family and their community, all those sorts of things. That's kind of like the baseline requirements, Mm -hmm. right? But do you look, does that factor into your, to the hiring process at all? Hey, we, we've got, you mentioned like Mm -hmm. we, we're, we're, we're predominantly laid back. Would we look for someone, maybe not opposite end of the spectrum, that'd probably be unhealthy, but someone that kind of balances us another way? Does that factor in? I don't know, I don't know that there's been an intentional effort to say we need to hire some hyper people. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that that would be a mistake. You, they, you would all drive each other crazy. So don't do yeah, that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think if you hired them for that attribute, that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. I think we're all aware that... Where we share a lot of commonalities is a potential to share a lot of weaknesses, right? That that that, that can be a liability because your sure. strength is always your weakness. And mm-hmm. so when you compound strengths and you can compound weaknesses if you're not not careful. And so I think whether it's youth staff or, or life group leaders or whatever, I think there's always an awareness that it's a good thing when God brings diversity to the team. Because mm-hmm. uh, that creates something that's often greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Uh, but what's more important than recruiting the the right personality type is is recruiting somebody who shares the same vision mm-hmm. and who is willing to work towards that in cooperation with one another. And uh, and that that's paramount. I don't think we would turn down somebody who was a very charismatic personality as long as. Uh, that charismatic personality was was subjected to Jesus Christ and willing to be patient, right? Mm-hmm. So you cannot, mm-hmm. uh, there is no biblical requirement to be charismatic, right? To be the leader of a church. You mm-hmm. are in fact instructed repeatedly to minister with all patience, right? Mm-hmm. So, that, so that is actually required. And mm-hmm. so if you're going to drift out of the center of the lane, you need to drift towards the too slow ditch mm-hmm. rather than the too yeah. fast ditch. Uh, which, which again can be a fault and can become a problem, uh, but I I would love to see God bring all manner of diversity of gifts and personalities uh, to the to the leadership team and mm-hmm. to the church in general of Valley Bible Church because I think that reflects the diversity of His creation. Right? It, yeah. Why does God make people so different mm-hmm. if it's not cool to put them all together? Right? Like that that's mm-hmm. something that should be special. Uh, but 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 character um, doctrine. And and a shared vision for what we're trying to accomplish are are very important. How does magnanimity, 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 magnanimity ishness? No, how does that? <laughs> yes. How does that factor into all of this that we're talking about? Because <laughs> sure, these are good character qualities, right? But so there's not just good character qualities mm. for a certain kind of adventurous personality. These are good character qualities for right. anyone, for everyone, everyone. Hmm. How does that? How does that factor in? 
and and before Caleb answers this with his uh, typical wit and and, and wisdom, um, you pronouncing the word and trying to figure out how you wanted to say it reminded me of a a student last night after we were talking about all this raised their hand and said, uh, "How do you how do you pronounce that word? <laughs> it's so hard." And I said, "Well." how about we live this way and make somebody else have to learn how to pronounce it so they can describe our life. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you know? I so like that. I do think you don't have to say magnanimity to get, get at what it's mm-hmm. talking about and live it out. Well, you just touched on something. I think is a draw. I want to hear Caleb's okay. witty answer, go ahead. Go ahead, Caleb. but uh, you touched on something interesting though. Like I, one of the uh-huh. reasons I think that we are not as magnanimous men as we ought to, is I think a lot of us are caught up on, I have to be completely ready before I act, mm-hmm. I have to be able to say the word before I live that way. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think, I, I think God doesn't work that way about compl- <laughs> no one is completely ever completely ready for anything, but nope. yeah, go ahead, Caleb, about how does this factor into all, all this? Into all this, into all of our hiring? Being and... magnanimous, but, 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 but as a Christian, because, because there are certain personality mm-hmm. types, like there's certain church I've got because of work, I've I've moved a lot. And so there are certain churches that I was in where I knew that um, what we, what brought us together was a, a teaching style, not just a teaching style, but a commitment to God's word. But mm. it was, it was, you could tell, like, even for me, like, I don't really fit here spiritually. Mm. Yes. But I could tell these people don't really, th- Somebody like me actually annoys them <laughs> because they don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be, they just want to be left alone mm. to plot out and do their thing quietly. There've been some churches like that. I was like, wow. I mean, they're, you, you almost felt like people didn't want you there. I mm. mean, they did as long as you kept volunteering, but they didn't want you there <laughs> to ever mess with what I, this little thing mm. I've built. So, but, but make, so magnanimity, magnet, magnanimity. Yes. Thank you. It is going to, I mean, these, these, five principles. They factor in though, regardless of who you are, if you're introverted, extroverted, and all of us are somewhere in between. <laughs> so, but how, do, how does that, how do you see that working out in a, in a church body or even in a, in a church leadership team, ministry team? Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think just in general from, from who we've brought on staff, well, me, anyway. But, uh, well, speaking of myself others, and uh, I mean, well, quintessential magnanimity. One of the things that we've been fairly committed to is first looking from within the body, um, you know, to see if there are people that we can call up into ministry that uh, that are already exhibiting some of these things. Uh, thank you for putting that back up on the screen. Chris, got, got you. Halls. Thank I you got for you. I got you size too. Yep, we got this. But I think... I think very magnanimous uh, yeah, of me. Very magnanimous. <laughs> but not in, the, and not in the sense of like... Magnanimous being like, oh, you're so great. I mean, these are great characteristics, but mm-hmm. I think that's where, you know, we think, oh, magnanimous means that you're some very generous. Good, extra goodness, you know? Yes. Oh, my yeah. God. Such a well, generous it, man. It referred that's, to a loftiness uh, of soul, and very, we've taken it into a something that feeds more into pride, yes. right? Yeah. And it, there, there are great souls, mm. and they are, not, they are not the kind of person that would ever point that out. You know, because mm. that's a mean, you know, using the old word, that is a mean thing to do. It is a, it is a sign of meanness of, of smallness to feel mm. like you ought to point out the, the greatness of your soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think for me, 
reading this definition reminded me a lot of that old definition of gravitas. Mm. Oh, yes. And I think gravitas really in many ways is the long-term side effects of magnanimity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, th- I think we look for these these basic things in, as characteristics in people. I, I, mean, I think you probably go through the list and, um, you know, we're looking for people that are that mm. are – that are being challenged in their in their you know in their walk with the Lord, but the, you know that are attempting great and difficult things. You know the Christian life is not always easy, right? I mean, but but that have faith, um, that are aspiring for great and valuable possessions, not necessarily a new car, a new house, not that sort of sort of thing, but that are for for those things that that are you know spiritual for uh, um, you know for you know, ultimately those possessions that are their eternal um, uh, facing dangers with resolution. Yeah, I mean we we've had uh, some some challenges, and we haven't thankfully had to do a lot of it. But uh, you know, looking around the room and going, okay, these are the guys that you know I'm going to have to stay shoulder to shoulder with. You know, when when the going gets tough, um, even even being brought on as an elder in the church, one of the things that Linda and I had this conversation is, you know, this could me end up with me in jail if they come to you know if they come to arrest us because we're preaching whatever we're preaching or, you know, mm-hmm. it was a little easier just as a hired hand to kind of go, hey, I'm just a hired hand. It's those guys. Those are the, those are the five guys you're looking for over there. Like, I'll take you to their offices, you know, just let, let me walk out the back oh, door. thanks. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, exactly. I would have stood with you anyway. Don't worry. But, uh, but uh, you know, actually being uh, on the on the, on the the role, if you will, of, of being one of those guys. But but that's what we're looking for, right? And, and people that we can stand uh, even in the face of danger with. Um, yeah, struggling against difficulties with perseverance, uh, bearing suffering with fortitude and patience. I mean, I think I think those are characteristics. I mean, they're not listed as characteristics of an elder, but they but they kind of. I mean, they kind of are this Christian character. I mean, really, mm-hmm. if you think about some of those things, they're they're not. Yeah, and I, and we want to push that downhill, right? And sure. This should be the characteristic of, of our church, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think some of that is recapturing as a church. And I, I I believe that as a church, that's our desire is to try to build a vision for living life in a vain world, understanding that it's more than just a vain world because there is there is a sovereign God who's accomplishing eternally good things through mm-hmm. the unfolding of, of the vanities of history mm-hmm. where... We're a, um, you know, a mother and, and just a shout out. I didn't get permission to say names, but uh, one of our frequent uh, uh, porch listeners welcomed a new baby into the family today. Mm. Oh. Uh, an 11 pound plus baby. Mm. Whoa. So uh, congrats to mom for <laughs> sure <laughs> and oh, yeah. to dad uh, for welcoming that child. But that that is that that is not just, oh, look, now we have a. Now we have a child that validates me as an adult. My mm. experience is complete. But to recognize that as having undertaken a great and difficult thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am going to um, receive this blessing from God at the same time as acknowledging the, just the the almost audacious responsibility mm. of seeking to disciple an eternal soul, you know, mm-hmm. and to be the primary one responsible for that, uh, aspiring after great and valuable mm-hmm. possessions. I was talking to a business leader in our community who was in the church earlier, um, and hearing just his heart, um, for, hey, I've, I've got these guys I've been hiring and working with them. I'm just learning more than ever how important it is to value my employees and mm-hmm. to and to express appreciation for what they're pouring into our business. And I'm looking for these kind of people. Can you can you send these kind of people my way um, that have this specific skill set, but also have this leadership potential because I'm specifically trying to sow the seeds of future mm-hmm. leaders and cultivate that in my place of business as a Christian business person. Like that's that's a 
aspiring after a lot more than selling more of his product, right? Mm -hmm. He's understanding that he is discipling something that matters there in his business. And we want to cultivate that kind of a heart in the church facing dangers with resolution that we've already, we've already decided what we believe and we've already counted our lives as loss. And so no matter what our culture does, what convulsions our culture goes through, what threats they, they, they levy, uh, we we've already we've already counted those costs right we know what god has said mm-hmm. we have said we believe it and we will do it and that's and done and done right and mm-hmm. so there's the resolve has already been baked in before the trial comes so that the trial is not making a scramble oh no what what should we do but the trial is exposing the resolution that's already been in our hearts and a, and a church is a place where that that doctrinal unity and that that shared set of convictions should be being cultivated constantly, whether the dangers in our face or not mm-hmm. struggling against difficulties with perseverance. I mean, that should be something that's woven into like our life group ministry, for example, mm-hmm. everybody's working through seasons of trial and to have that weekly opportunity to get together as, as the people of God and say, okay, how has God shown himself faithful in your life this week? How can we be praying for you as you will be going into this next week? Not just, not just for, and, and not instead of, but you know, pray for deliverance, mm-hmm. but not just praying for your deliverance from your circumstances this week. But how can I pray for your perseverance this week? How can I pray for the sanctification that God is accomplishing in your life through this ongoing trial? As long as he providentially deems it necessary in your life, how can I do that? Mm. Uh, To do that communally, the church ought to be a place where that's happening. And then to bear sufferings with fortitude and patience Mm. in a culture of complaining, right? In a culture of whining uh, as Christians, we ought to be the first to give sympathy to those who are suffering, but for ourselves personally as well, this ought to be a place where we are frequently seeing those testimonies of those who are in seasons of suffering that can stand up and praise God anyway, right? Not mm-hmm. not falsely, but because he indeed has been their sufficiency. And that's what makes Christian uh, magnanimity different is that in the world, often it's a stoic type of thing where it's, I'm... I'm trying to prove how tough I am by pretending I'm okay. The stiff upper lip. Right. The very British. Whereas the Christian magnanimity ought to be uh, in the face of the genuinely great travail of my soul. God has proven himself greater, right? Actual comfort has been experienced and found Mm -hmm. here. And so I am able to stand with actual worship and joy and and declare those things today. So that, whole, the whole spectrum there of magnanimity ought to be, I think, woven into the very fabric of the life of the church. And that will produce a courageous, confident, active uh, force, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout our homes and throughout our our community and our businesses. It really ought to be uh, a wave that washes up as far as Christians are found. A couple things I think is cool as we've been talking about this. Initially, when we were talking about these qualities, we really were talking about them on an individual basis because that's who Witherspoon mm-hmm. was speaking to, right? As, as, as individuals, as, as men, that was his audience. These are the qualities. And, and, and I think that's essential. I think we, it's kind of cool hearing you guys talk too, because we sort of shifted to as a church body, these ought to be qualities um, that, um, that are recognizable as well. Mm. And so, you know, it, Number number one, attempting great and difficult things. You could even add the word together, attempting (laughs) great and difficult things. Number two, together, 
aspiring after great and valuable possessions. This idea that Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not golf. I'm out there by myself (laughs) swinging and um, it's clearly spirit driven. God is the, the, the one that is working out uh, this process of sanctification. But the reason he created a church is that it is a together thing. It's a team sport. Um, we don't have time to chat about it today as I looked at our time there. I think it'd be yeah, interesting TikTok. is <laughs> be interesting to hear <laughs> at some point. Is it is it appropriate for for a church to aspire that you don't have to have all these qualities in order to come here? Be nice. Right. But by coming here and being a, and mm-hmm. and not only sitting under our teaching, but working together um with with the people here, being discipled here. These are the sorts of qualities that people who are part of our body develop over time. And, and I think as someone mm-hmm. who's had to look for a lot of churches over the years, just because we would move, um, I think that would, how powerful is that? Mm-hmm. That by becoming part of our body, these are the kinds of things that we aspire to. And you too, mm-hmm. through God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you too will become this way more and more. Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it's probably time for me to wrap this if I opened it. But uh, Chris, you had another thought there. I don't want to. Maybe oh. that'll be our last thought for the day. Uh, one of my children is learning how to play the violin, right? <laughs> and they had a concert this week, um, a middle school concert, and and did very well for a middle school concert. Uh, but also earlier this week, uh, they were trying to figure out a, a piece on the violin, and I put on Itzhak Perlman playing uh, this particular song with a full symphony mm-hmm. behind him, and. Uh, there was a noticeable difference <laughs> between <laughs> the middle school concert and and Itzhak Perlman playing this solo, uh, and and the church should be not embarrassed uh, where where maturity exists. I think some churches try to market how messy they are, mm-hmm. like come come here if you're full of problems because. We're just as full of problems and not doing anything about it. So you'll fit right in mm. uh, where, where there is mature spiritual music coming from God's people that should be, that should be celebrated, but not because we, uh, we are worshiping the excellence of our craft, but because we love music, we mm-hmm. love good music. And if you come in and you've got your first year violin and you don't know how to play a note and you're saying, but I'm hearing beautiful music coming from this church, I don't think I'll fit in. The question should be, do you love music? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then it's, oh, you're going to fit in great. And here's somebody that can help you learn how to play and join right along with us. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, uh, I love it. We started with New Orleans food and music, <laughs> and we have oh, come we full circle back to music. Wow, that's professional. <laughs> but I think I think that's the one of the reasons that um, food and music are so much. They're so fun. Is is it is it's a combination of and different things. Yes, and. Um, and whether it whether it's a band, whether it's a jazz band, there's a combination of different things, different skills, uh, or it's an orchestra. Um, spent quite a bit of time sitting through orchestras over the years uh, with with my kids. In fact, I think Mandy might have been there. I don't know. Was she there playing cello? I think, I think so. So um, uh, I just saw the video of her afterwards. But nice. at any rate, it's a it's a team thing. And and the nice thing about good teams, high performing teams, don't have all of one kind 
like that's the beauty of yeah. what God has done is he, sa- is he saved us and he assembled his church. It's just different gifts, different skills, different backgrounds, different victories. And, uh, and it's something we ought to appreciate. And, and I think it is, it generally is appreciated, but probably something we could appreciate even further and, 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 uh, and take into account as we try to become more magnanimous ourselves and, and try to instill these in our families. Well, uh, that's all we've got today for Bombadil's Porch. We are so grateful to you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, we do ask that uh, if you've got some comments, suggestions over the over the years, we've even had some people say, hey, can we come on and talk about something? Yeah. Uh, please get in touch with us at bombadillsporch.com. Uh, all of our contact info is there. Also, if you get a little chance to give us a review and because you liked it, great. If you didn't like it, then just send us an email and we'll <laughs> we'll uh, maybe we'll invite you on. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell Try everybody to spice about it. up the show. There we go. It's a controversy. Uh, well, it's good to be back with you guys and appreciate your prayers. Uh, with all the miles, well, since I've been out of town so much. Um, but with that, I do want to um, th- thank you guys uh, for your fellowship here and and for become, being a part of my discipleship. And I think for our listeners, too, that's uh, if there's anything that would be an exhortation is uh, – are you are you laboring away at this thing called the Christian life by yourself? Or are you reaching out to your brothers and sisters around you? Um, and as iron sharpens iron, encouraging them in their walk with the Lord and being encouraged. And and I think that's something that as a, as a community of believers, that's going to be the thing that that makes us makes makes us strong is the, the work that God's doing in our hearts, that we're also sharing it with the people around us and being part of their being part a good influence and becoming part of, of the encouragement team. And sometimes encouragement is even, is even speaking truth, but always in love. Um, it's a, and, and I think that's going to be something that keeps us strong in the, in these crazy times that we live in. 